Welcome to another Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. Joining me today is Matt Hamilton, who's Senior Advisor for Trade and Inclusive Value Chains at Oxfam America. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Oxfam have just launched a new Shining a Light report, which is a bit of a follow-up to your successful Behind the Brands campaign from 2013 to 2016 that focused attention on big food brands and their supply chains. So how does the Shining a Light research and report build on that earlier work? This report was really wanting to take a look at what happens after a campaign. So after a big NGO like Oxfam has a campaign, companies make commitments, what does that actually look like five years later? So between 2013 and 2016, the Behind the Brands campaign was calling on the world's biggest food and beverage companies. So we call them the Big Ten and called on them to adopt stronger social and environmental sourcing policies. Throughout the campaign, we mobilized supporters and eventually got different commitments from companies. So Mars, Mondelez, and Nestle all committed to tackling gender inequality in their cocoa supply chain. Coca-Cola and Pepsi and others declared zero tolerance for land grabs. General Mills and Kellogg also pledged to fight climate change. And so this report is looking at what implementation looks like. And I think the report comes at an important time with the pandemic. We're seeing the importance of needing these long-term sourcing relationships on the ground. And also just it's accentuating all the issues in the food system that we've already seen before, acute hunger, farmers and workers not capturing the value of what they're producing. An interesting approach. You're sort of looking to see how successful your campaign has been five years on. So I guess in that light then, what specifically does the new report examine? The campaign finished in 2016 and we pivoted to more of an implementation initiative. So we started working with companies and Oxfam uses the term critical friend. So we approached companies saying, we want to work with you. At the same time, we're going to hold you accountable. Through that work, we've been able to work with companies in sourcing countries on the ground. So we've been working with companies in Brazil, Ghana, Guatemala, India, and Malawi. These countries were chosen based on Oxfam staff, Oxfam capacity on the ground, and also just hotspots where these human rights and environmental issues are taking place. We commissioned four external evaluations. And so we did that because we wanted that objectivity from an outside evaluator. The four evaluations focused on two were on women's economic empowerment, one was on land rights, and one was on climate. And then we also did an update of our agribusiness scorecard. So in 2019, we published an agribusiness scorecard, and that was based on the original behind the brand scorecard that was part of the campaign. We expanded it to include some other thematic areas. So the five thematic areas where agribusinesses were evaluated were women, land, climate, small-scale producers, and transparency and accountability. I think overall, what we found in the report is that companies have taken important steps at the global level, but progress is still stalling in terms of translating those approaches to countries and through different supply chains. There are definitely positive examples and innovations happening in key sourcing countries, especially the ones that are locally owned and involve engagement with local companies, local suppliers, civil society, trade unions, and governments. But there are definitely still some blockages to be addressed. The big food brands you've been looking at, the top 10 food brands in the world, have been making some big commitments and made big commitments in 2016 following the initial campaign. So what is the progress looking like? You mentioned, of course, that there's a bit more engagement on the ground. So is that where it's been progress? And I guess there's been more progress in some areas than others. You know, the results are mixed. They're nuanced. 
they differ from supply chains. They differ even within commodity supply chains that are in different countries. So we are seeing mixed results, but there are positive examples where commitments are being implemented well and other examples where we think companies could be doing better. On women's economic empowerment, the specific commitments that we secured from companies were around conducting gender assessments. So that's really to get an idea of what the situation is on the ground in your supply chains. And then to also, based on those assessments, implement action plans. And our independent evaluation found the quality of those assessments varied significantly. But at the same time, there's still some gaps in terms of addressing gender equality in supply chains. On land rights, companies made significant progress in terms of adopting frameworks and guidance at the global level and the headquarters level. But again, implementation is a little bit uneven depending on the supply chain, depending on the geography. That's especially true when we look at the agribusiness sector. So when we start to look at what are the key suppliers doing on the ground, the ones that supply these big food and beverage companies. And I think in general, the agribusiness sector, again, there's nuance, but the agribusiness sector is lagging behind when it comes to land rights. On climate change, companies made progress on delivering on a two degree Celsius target. Obviously, that has moved in terms of we'd like to see companies doing a 1.5. So that's not all companies have committed to that but we are seeing progress. What about in terms of where the progress is? Are there specific patterns emerging about where companies are doing well and less well? Overall, implementation really requires stamina from companies. So I think it's the companies that are investing, and we don't mean just financially, but the ones that are investing in relationships, investing in capacity in country. Some companies have even moved to start hiring local staff that are specifically focused on sustainability. That's where we're really seeing companies have power to implement those commitments. There are positive examples of where implementation is going well, especially when they're local owned, as I mentioned, but also where they're involving local civil society, local labor unions and governments. At the same time, the areas where it's not going well, I would say, is where those incentives are not matching supplier uptake. You really need to provide the right incentives, the right capacity, so that your suppliers can also be a part of this. Suppliers are huge implementing partners in a lot of these efforts, and so it's essential that their customers work with them and through them to drive that change. Can you give us a quick example of a specific place where you've seen the local partnering, the local hiring working well? In both cocoa and palm supply chains, we do see companies have hired some local staff. So I think in West Africa, most of the big chocolate companies and as well as traders, obviously, have local staff that are engaged in sustainability efforts. And then in in palm as well, you're also seeing that. So Latin America is becoming the fastest growing region in terms of palm production. And so you're seeing more and more companies and also agribusinesses putting staff in place locally. And that local staff can then engage local suppliers that work their way up the chain. I guess these local teams are much more likely to be able to get that sort of traction with other locals and literally speak the same language, which of course is going to help to really get down to the granular detail of these supply chains. Pulling back a bit then, Matt, how do you think that the drivers of good practice are changing here? You know, to some extent, we're always going to have that cat and mouse game where civil society brings issues to light, companies shy away at times from engaging. But I think more and more we're seeing that changing. It's still happening, but companies are seeing the value in engaging civil society. They're seeing the value in engaging governments positively and seeing the value in also implementing more transparency in their supply chains. 
What evidence have you seen of food companies taking advantage of the opportunities afforded by the supply chain transparency and materiality we've been talking about? And you're thinking back to when you did the Behind the Brands campaigning. Is there now more proactivity rather than reactivity? I think so. I think overall, we are seeing more companies, again, realizing the value of civil society, realizing the value of engaging partners, both on the global level and and the local level. Uh, Certainly in Palm, we've seen a push for transparency, rightly so, from NGOs. And most companies are starting to work towards that, publishing mill-level data, regularly updating that. But we're also seeing that start to trickle into other commodities, which I think is really exciting. I think Nestle is a notable example. They've moved to publish more supplier information in different supply chains that we haven't kind of seen before. Mars is another one that comes to mind. I think on the trader front, we also have seen some big commitments in the last year. All three of the big cocoa traders, Barry Calabot, Cargill, Olam, they've all committed to publishing supplier level information on their cocoa supply chains. These are all positive developments. Companies in the past have often feared transparency, but transparency is its really your friend. It helps you know your supply chain better, know your risks, and allows civil society to engage you more directly and more concretely. Do you think looking forward, there's need for looking at the next level of companies? You've been looking at the companies involved in supplying and working with the really big food and beverage companies. Is it the next level down that perhaps now are the ones that are hiding behind the big companies should be taking taking all the hits? I think that's one of our biggest challenges, right? So in the overall food system supply chain, you have these big companies that consumers know well. So these companies will respond to civil society to activists putting pressure on them. But then we have companies that people have never heard of that are not as susceptible to that pressure. And so we have to figure out different angles and different ways to approach them. And so I think that's where the local piece really comes in handy and is crucial in addressing those companies. I guess a lot of the companies that people have never heard of are the big suppliers to the food brands, the kind of the middlemen as well. And they are making progress too, for sure. What's next for Oxfam in this area? Based on our learnings, Oxfam is evolving the Behind the Brands program, and we really want it to be more country-driven. I think through our work, we realized the value in having that local level engagement. We really want to keep focusing on these hotspot issues, but rely more on our empower our local colleagues that are based in sourcing countries to help drive those efforts. And so the next phase is not going to just focus on the Big Ten. We're expanding it to other companies that are influential in the food and beverage space. It'll also build on work that we've done with retailers, agribusinesses, looking at financial institutions. So that's also an area where we can have some influence is you know, who is funding, for example, Palm expansion, and then looking at the suppliers at the local and international levels. And of course, I think our overall mission and our agenda is really focused on inequality. So I talked earlier about the growing divides that the COVID pandemic has exposed. And so that's going to be a big focus of our work going forward. So working in a multi-stakeholder fashion, but addressing inequality head on, the kind of four interrelated areas that we're looking at are fair economies, equal rights, climate justice and gender justice. And so that's really going to help us bring together a lot of Oxfam's existing initiatives on inequality in food value chains and continue taking that whole value chain approach and amplifying voices on the ground, working with partners at each level of the value chain. So we're really excited. So will there be a shining spotlight too in uh, five years time? 
<laughs> we'll we'll see. We'll see what the next couple of years entail. But for sure, we want to keep shining the spotlight, to use our title, on companies and keep driving the change that we want to see. Well, look forward to reading the next one whenever it is. And Matt, perhaps you can come back on the podcast then. But thanks so much indeed. Matt Hamilton from Oxfam America. Thanks so much.